This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. everybody, Tim Hamrich here. And if you're listening to this show, it's probably because you have some sort of an interest in either ag tech or rural entrepreneurship or agricultural sustainability or food security, or maybe all four. And I try to hit at least one of those categories in every episode. Sometimes we get a couple, but it's very rare that we get a guest on the show that can touch all four of those categories. But we have one here today. Back on the show, we have Rob Syke, and we had a fantastic episode with Rob back in episode 95 where we talked about GMOs versus organic and really how to navigate the waters of sort of the food religions, as Rob calls them, that's out there here today. And really kind of came down to it that we really have the same goals and just multiple approaches to it. I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that episode after you finish with this one. But Rob has over 40 years of experience as a professional agrologist, entrepreneur, and international consultant. He's worked with a wide variety of agriculturalists from the Nigeria's Minister of Agriculture to Bill Gates, who you're going to hear a little bit about that on this episode. His latest book, Food 5.0, How We Feed the Future, is a pragmatic look at the five iterations of agriculture, from muscle to machine to chemistry to biotechnology to now the examination of how technology convergence is shaping the farm and the consumer. Rob's an outspoken champion for agriculture, a distinguished agrologist, professional agriculture consultant, and serial entrepreneur who's been hailed as an agriculture futurist with unparalleled insights into where the industry is headed. And I, I was reading that from his bio, but I couldn't agree more. He's leveraged these strengths to found over 15 companies in the areas of farming, ag retail, distribution, media, and ag tech, including the AgriTrend AgriData group of companies, which was recently acquired by Trimble. Through the Psych Management Group, Inc., he provides consulting services to many organizations, including being the CEO of Autonomous Robotic Farm Solutions. He's also the founder of AgVisor Pro, which is a platform that uberizes knowledge and wisdom, enabling farmers to instantaneously connect with agriculture experts worldwide. Really, really fun interview here. I think you're going to enjoy it. Rob's going to start off by talking a little bit about sort of what his plans are are now that he has finished the exit from his most recent entrepreneurial venture. Well, after we exited AgriTrend and AgriData to Trimble, I was asked lots of questions from people saying, are you going to retire, play golf, whatever? Well, those people don't know me very well. I have a lot of passion for agriculture and lots of ideas in my head. And quite frankly, I am 100% enjoying my ability to continue to start new companies and new ventures in agriculture. And Tim, this is what I believe we need to do. I mean, the the historic pattern has been that you build a, a fertilizer retail company and you sell it, you go off into the sunset, or you have an exit and you go off into the sunset. And agriculture doesn't need its experienced entrepreneurs going off into the sunset. It needs people to stick around and, and reinvest their money and charge up the next generation. So that's what I'm doing. And, and now your book, this is your second book, right? Because you had the Agricultural Manifesto last year, right? That's correct. I, I wrote the Agriculture Manifesto, 10 Key Drivers That Will Shape Agriculture in the Next Decade. And I released, I wrote the book in 2013, released it in 2014. And it ended up being a best of Amazon book in 2014. 
And it really talked about 10 key technology drivers in silos. It talked about them in, in isolation. The new book that's being released on August 13th on Amazon is called Food 5.0, How We Feed the Future. And the first book, Tim, The Agriculture Manifesto, was largely written for the agricultural community. Food 5.0, the new book, is written for the ag community to read and enjoy and get insight as to where agriculture is headed, and then to hand that book off to the in-law in the city. So I'm hoping that the farm community buys extra copies of the book to give to that sister-in-law in the city who really doesn't know much about agriculture and to buy one copy for their local library. Because what I did with, with Food 5.0 is I wanted to write it based on the perspective of farmers of consequence. And, and those are commercial farmers or those farms kind of producing net revenues of more than one and a half million dollars off of their farm. In other words, farmers that were making a full-time living farming, they represent such a small slice of the population, Tim, that I wanted to tell that story. Yeah, they represent a small slice of the population, but like you said, they are the ones of consequence. They're the ones producing the vast majority of, of everything we use. Well, when you consider, and I did some math on it, if you round up 370 million people in, in North America, and they say that 2% are farmers, that's not true. When you consider farmers of consequence, you're probably dealing with 0.2%. Hmm. I, would, I would argue that in America, you could probably put all farmers of consequence in a very large football field, and in Canada, put them in a large hockey rink. And those farmers would represent 80% of the staple food production in our two nations. And they represent, like I said, about 0.2% of the population. So I wanted to tell their story, uh, what's going on. And they're, and they're largely family operations. I mean, they're, they're families that have incorporated their farms because they're business entities, but they're still run by families. Again, nobody understands them. And so I wanted to write the story from that perspective, Tim. I wanted to cover off the five iterations of agriculture and where agriculture came from, the era of muscle and machine and chemistry and biotechnology. And then this last area, which is, in my mind, convergence. And I also wanted to talk about the infinite sustainability of agriculture because people talk about food like it's food religion. And regardless of the religion that you believe in, I think agriculture, so long as we have people, agriculture needs to be infinitely sustainable. So I also approach the book from that angle. Yeah, and I, I love the approach of having something that, that would be read and enjoyed by not only the agricultural community, but the those who can identify as consumers and not so much on the producer side. So I think that's a, it's a, it's a great approach. Now, the 5.0, and you just kind of explained a little bit about where it came from. You know, what makes you think, what's different now that makes you think we're in sort of a new era of agriculture? Well, I, I think what I'm observing is, you know, if 10 or 15 years ago, we were talking about swath guidance or auto steer, Tim. I would come out to the farm and I'd really talk about auto steer and GPS guidance as a single thing. And you, you'd buy it. I mean, most farmers today have auto steer. But today, auto steer cannot be talked about unless you're also talking about geographic information systems, GIS. That hooks to data. That hooks to variable rate technology. That hooks to computers. That hooks to you know seed population, that hooks to fertilizer, it hooks to biotechnology, 
and these things are all slamming together. And, and you know, we, we hear name dropping all the time, like machine learning and artificial intelligence and blockchain, which you've covered off. But these things don't exist in, in silos anymore as individual things. Yeah, consumers, you know, are asking, it seems like every week they're changing their mind about what they're asking, but they want, quote unquote, transparency. So we have to provide that data linkage. And then other people are beating the bandwagon around sustainability. And still others are, are talking about, you know, farm economics and farm viability. And so these technologies, I think, are coming together in a way that we've never seen before and faster, Tim, than we've ever seen before. I would agree. I have a note here that I have to ask you about because it says six hour conversation with Bill Gates about agriculture. I would love just to, first of all, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall in that conversation, but tell us about that experience, how that came about and you know, what you, what you recall from that conversation. Well, it all started off with a TEDx talk I gave surrounding biotechnology and the talk was entitled Will agriculture be allowed to feed 9 billion people? And that TEDx talk, you can find it. So if you, you know, Google TEDx and my name, Robert Syke, you'll find that talk there. I was uh, walking through the San Francisco airport one day and got a call from the University of Cornell. And they wanted me to give a couple lectures at the Alliance for Bioscience, which is supported by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And I asked the gal, like, how did she find me? And said, they said, she said, well, Bill told us to watch your your TEDx talk. And, and I said, Bill who? And she goes, Bill Cates. And I said, shut up, Bill. Bill saw my TEDx talk and it was very exciting for me. And that led to a May 2nd meeting in Washington where Bill Gates invited a handful of thinkers from around the world to basically look at technology and how it could shape primarily small landholder farms. Ever since that, Tim, that was the genesis. Like I, I shared what we had did at AgriTrend and AgriData that is now Trimble, and I was sharing all of that stuff with them. And I have a farming operation in Uganda, so I'm, I'm partners in an operation there. So I have an idea about what goes on in Uganda, Kenya, and Nigeria. But the meeting with Bill Gates really was a challenge to me to think about how we could develop a solution to help farmers address scarcities in, in, in their operation. And I think the number one scarcity that I see at farm level is the access to experts and expertise information at the right time. In other words, farmers need to know what they need to know right away. And that, that led actually to the, to the company that I'm, I'm launching this summer called AgVisor Pro Answers Now. And so, you know, it, these things all come together, Tim. The, the book, the, the TEDx talk, these things all kind of fold together over time. That's incredible. I want to talk more about AgVisor Pro, your, your most recent venture. It sounds like, you know, partially at least that came out of this conversation about how do we, you know, help producers and a great way to help them is sort of connect them with, with expertise when they need it. So talk to us just from a customer experience standpoint, how does AgVisor Pro work for a farmer? Well, Advisor Pro really comes out of the, the thinking that I've done almost over the last 20, 25 years about trying to provide farmers with, with greater levels of ex expertise or, or information when they need it. So Advisor Pro is really the uberization of knowledge and wisdom. And what I mean by that is that we've created a farmer loads up his profile 
and it has the equipment, the land, the types of crops or livestock and operations he's running. And when he has a question, we've developed an algorithm that would match him to his Uber answerers, his Uber drivers. And so really, we've got an expert level, which is PhD level. We've got a a master level, which is deep domain knowledge. We've got professional, which is generalists. We've got industry, industry people. We've got government people. And so a farmer might have a question about soybeans, for example, and maybe he's got a bug coming in soybeans. And he wants to talk to somebody about that. And so we would be able to instantaneously show the farmer who is online. So first of all, which which experts are available to him immediately, uh, what levels they're at, what their ratings are at, and how much they would charge for a a 10-minute conversation, say it's $30 or whatever it is. And then we facilitate an instantaneous connection between the farmer and that advisor. Now, the advisor might say, can't do it right now, be with you in five minutes, just like an Uber driver. And the default connection, Tim, is audio. You can go to video, so video, video sharing. We can do screen capture, we can do photos, we can do chat sharing, eventually be screen sharing. So a full immersive interaction instantaneously between a farmer and an agricultural expert. At the end of it, that session is archived for the farmer for future reference, and then there's a rating system that takes place, and then the transaction is cleared. And so we've built all of that into AgVisor Pro. Wow. And is it is it all for sort of agronomic issues, but also, for, or is it also for like equipment and management and other things like that? Yeah, as we as we add the expertise on board, Tim, it'll move into an, almost any ex, any area of agriculture. I'm I'm hoping that we could offer you know software support and and controller support for a farmer and distractor, whatever, and industry support. I think a lot of the one eight hundred lines don't work really well for industry. This is a brand new way for industry to list their technicians that they have in their company, and a farmer being able to instantaneously access the technical support that he or she is looking for by not having to go through a 1-800 number and all the iterations. And and the other thing that we're building in this thing is mental health support. There's been a lot of talk about stress on the farm. And if a farmer is depressed or even suicidal, the farmer is not going to make an appointment in town. He's not going to talk to his family. You know, that's a really that's a really pressure situation. So what we want to build in AgVisor Pro is an instantaneous connection between a farmer and a mental health expert. And those sessions would not be recorded. They'd be 100% confidential. And we're looking for somebody to help us underwrite the cost of developing that mental health support system in AgVisor Pro for farmers. We haven't found that, that entity yet, but we're looking. Incredible. And, and just, a, it, you know, for all of those use cases, how do you validate the experts? I know you said there were different levels, you know, master's, PhD, et cetera. Are you kind of relying on their own credentials to bring forward or do you ha- somehow screen them before you allow them as an expert on the platform or how does that work? Well, we're launching on August the 16th, or sorry, we're launching this on July 16th. And there's three ways that we're approaching this, Tim. The first way is basically the the expert would come on and lay into the system their educational levels, associations they belong to, work experience, and an abstract of what they've done. So that's the first step. 
The second step is, as we move forward, a vouching system where existing experts and advisors would vouch for new people coming onto the system. I think that's quite important. We'll be building that in. And the third level is really a self-regulating level where farmers can rate the advice they get. So over time, the best advisors will be getting potentially more business over time. So that's also it built into the system. And so that's really how we're approaching it. Okay. And I imagine they would, if you're John Deere and you're offering your customer support through, you know, AgVisor Pro, you know, that's probably for free. But if you are an independent advisor, you probably charge per hour. Is that how you envision that working? That's that's exactly right. So if you're an independent fertilizer guy or you're an independent crop nutrient specialist and that's how you make your money, then the farmer would pay for that session because really he's accessing those years of unbiased independent advice. On the other hand, if a farmer is connecting with an industry partner, while the industry partner is really supporting the sale of some product there, so there wouldn't be any charge to the farmer in that case. And really for government people, we're still working that out with the government or extension, but really what we're looking is AgVisor Pro, really we need to get paid for the connectivity that we're building in the system. So we're still sorting some of that out, but essentially you've, you've hit the nail on the head. And and getting back a little bit to your conversation with Bill Gates about how do you empower this, the smallholder farmers, especially in developing countries, do you you see something like this being also useful for them? Or is this mainly for all those farmers that would all fit in kind of a hockey stadium like we talked about earlier? (laughs) You know, it's a really interesting, I think that AgVisor Pro is, is really unbiased and international in focus. Um, I also go to another program called Abundance 360 with Peter Diamandis, who's the founder of the XPRIZE Foundation and co-founder of Singularity University. And at Abundance, the course I go to annually in California in January, Peter Diamandis challenges us to a moonshot. What could you do that potentially could change the lives of a billion people? And again, back to my Bill Gates experience, uh, ever since he challenged us, I've been thinking, okay, how could I build something that could, in fact, change the lives of a billion people? How could we affect the the lives of farmers here, but also small landholders? And so Advisor Pro, while it's based on U.S. currency, is expressed in local denominations, and the session fees are based on regional expectation for, for time and wisdom. So... There's no reason that uh, a farmer in Nigeria, for example, couldn't access a Nigerian advisor to help him with his cowpea crop. That that would that would be workable. And whereas the session in in North America might be thirty or fifty dollars, the session in Nigeria might be fifty cents. And mm. at the same time, that Nigerian farmer, if he wanted to access North American expertise, could pay thirty or fifty dollars, but so th- this is what we we built. So because it's grounded on U.S. currency, but expressed in local denominations, we really have a way to scale this thing across the planet. We'll see where it goes. Now, that is uh, really, really exciting stuff. And, and you've been doing all this, you know, writing this book, Growing AgVisor Pro, while being the CEO of a very, very innovative ag tech startup, DOT Autonomous Farming Solutions. So tell us about DOT. Well, Yeah. So I've been working on AgVisor Pro for a while, and I decided to write the book. But upon our exit from Trimble, which concluded in 
December 31st of 2018. I think it was eight days later, I accepted the CEO role of DOT. DOT is uh, the largest agricultural robotic platform on the planet today. DOT is named after the inventor. His name is Norbert Bougeau. And DOT is named after Norbert's mother, Dorothy. Dorothy had nine kids and she was tremendous at multitasking. And so Norbert said, you know, we're going we're gonna to honor mom by, by naming this robot, which is extremely flexible and adaptable. We're going to name the robot Dot. So if people are wondering where the name come, it came from Dorothy, Norbert's mom. Dot is a U-shaped platform with a 173 horsepower tier four Cummins engine that propels four hydrostatic independently driven wheels. And that U-shape connects with other implements. These implements are called dot-ready implements. So we can connect to a seeder or a sprayer or a fertilizer spreader. We should talk about that. And and maybe planters. So that's the that's the that's the idea around dot. And I've been brought on to help lead and provide commercialization support, technical support for DOT. And I would encourage anyone listening, go check out the videos of DOT. You, you can do that at their website, which is c.run. And I will put that in the show notes as well, because it really is, you, you could tell instantly that it's DOT because it looks very different from any other farm equipment you've ever seen. As far as the economics of this, you know, it, it always kind of struck me that a lot of farmers I talk to at least some of which are, you know, are big enough that they really have to pay someone else to, to drive a tractor where I could definitely see autonomous. But many of them kind of like going out and doing the field work. They like being an tractor. They like kind of, you know, feeling like they're, they're farming hands on. So the economics of this, I would think really need to work. How do the economics of, of you know, buying a, a dot system or solution compare mm-hmm. with, yep. you know, buying your more traditional farm implement? Okay, so I'll speak in, I'm in Canada, but I'll speak in U.S. dollar terms so, so we can do that. Oh, I think that would be three, great. I, I'm not three, good at the conversion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So three, three, key, uh, three key areas that I think DOT addresses, Tim. First of all, almost without question, all across large farming, large farming operations, access to qualified operators is, is a pinch point. We just simply cannot find enough qualified operators to run the machines, especially as farms get into remote rural areas. It gets harder and harder and harder. A lot of the farmers that are running uh, sizable operations, their operators are really the farms that they bought out. But a lot of these farm operators now are 75 and 80 years old. And sooner or later, that attrition's just going to take place. So the constraint of uh, viable and, and trained farm operators is number one. Number two, would be capital cost, and so DOT is two hundred sixty thousand U.S. dollars, and the DOT sprayer is one hundred sixty thousand, and that sprayer is one hundred twenty foot. That's the Patterson Patterson Connect sprayer. That's a one hundred twenty foot sprayer, Tim, with sixteen hundred gallon tanks on it. It's got turn compensation, variable rate. It's got all of the bells and whistles. So for two sixty and one sixty, call it four hundred thousand. You've got a 120-foot, 1,600-gallon autonomous, self-propelled sprayer that will have as many bells and whistles as anything else out there. And then once you're done spraying, you can decouple it and move on to the next piece of, of dot-ready implement for your farming operation. Now, your question was, if a farmer loves driving his tractor, will this take the place? 
Well, only if he wants to. So there's a segment of population out there that is looking for economies of scale, and they're trying to figure out how do I deal with this labor constraint issue that's real? And for those farmers, DOT is an answer. For the guys that have got their land paid for and their assets are largely secured and they have beautiful farm equipment, yep, you know, there's nothing like driving a tractor at the end of the day. But we're targeting that marketplace that's looking for economies of scale. And I would imagine as we look out forward in, in commodity agriculture, the economies of scale are going to be increasingly more important as, as all farming operations become more and more efficient. Well, for sure. And I mean, uh, the, so I, I mentioned labor and I mentioned capital cost. And the third one is operations. And so we're still pulling together the necessary data on, on DOT operations. But I know that we ran DOT this winter at the University of Arizona Research Facility at Maricopa, Arizona. And we were spraying and averaging about three to four gallons of diesel fuel an hour for DOT. And I think that consumption, you know, compares very favorably to the nine to 12 gallons per hour that the self-propelled sprayer guys would be chewing up. So I think we're in, I think we're, you know, starting to amass these, these bits of information that, that really all we're doing is we've invented a technology that really takes advantage of of the winds of change. Because, I mean, these winds are blowing and we're hoping that we set our sails correctly. That's basically it, you know. And is there both a manual mode and an automatic mode for DOT where you would kind of, you'd control it to take it out of the the barn, let's say, and then move it to the field and then kind of let it loose on the field? Is that how it works? Yeah, I think about a gaming device, a gaming controller. We have a game controller, basically, that allows you to propel DOT around the farmyard and can load DOT up on the trailer, whatever you need to do. But in the field, it reverts to 100% autonomous operation. So DOT is, right now, we, we do our GPS, we do our shape files, we do boundary mapping, Tim, and obstacle mapping. And we have something we built into it for gullies and stuff called school zones, where DOT would slow down through the school zone. All of those things are programmed ahead, and DOT will do the path planning to do 100% autonomous operation in the field. And I'm, I'm talking sub-inch accuracy here. So we're working with Raven technology on DOT and, and that sort of thing. So when it, goes, it gets going in the field, it's got 100% autonomous technology. What we've layered on top of DOT right now is all the new stuff, LIDAR, radar, photometrics. And those are the eyes that DOT uses to see the field. So right now, if a tree fell down in, in front of DOT, uh, DOT would stop. The, the, the tree is not there in the, in the path. It's not recognized. DOT would stop. In the future, we would want DOT to see the tree and make a decision about how to get around it. And that's really where machine learning comes in. So we're a ways away from that, but those are some of the wicked challenges that we're working on. Interesting. Yeah. Whenever I I hear about technology like this, my mind just kind of plays out various scenarios and and it sometimes leads to a question that's about half the time a really dumb question, but half the time an insightful (laughs) question. And I I honestly don't know which one this is, but is there there any sort of challenge with being street legal? I mean, there's probably some complexities in laws when it comes to autonomous vehicles on the streets. And so when you need to move this thing from field to field, does that get into some some complex territory regulatory-wise? Yeah, we're going to we're going to have to cross these regulatory barriers. We're we're fortunate that, you know, people already get, become accustomed to hearing about driverless cars and driverless trucks on roadways. So if you have that surely dot transporting at 
you know, six miles an hour between fields is, is going to be okay. It's pretty funny because we, we have Dot and, and, and Dot is virtually tethered to a truck, for example, where we can, you know, we can just lead Dot down the road. We could lead several Dots down the road in a platoon mode. One regulator said, well, if you could just put a hitch on it, you know, or could you put a cab on it? And then it'd be okay. We're saying, well, no, no, we're not putting a cab on Dot. Or he said, can you put a hitch on it? And I'm, my, my comeback to that, well, it has a hitch. It's a virtual hitch. It's the same thing as a hitch. It's just not a metal hitch. And so, yeah, we've got to get across some of these regulatory issues. I think we're probably in a better spot dealing with these regulatory issues with DOT on, on, on field and on country roads than we are uh, the, the regulatory hurdles that have got to be addressed with autonomous vehicles on highways. But nonetheless, you bring up a good point. We, we do have to deal with them. And that'll, that'll be, I'm sure that'll be a work in progress over time. Uh, we'll start off in, in Saskatchewan trying to address those regulatory issues. And then over time, we're going to have to deal with them wherever DOT is, is eventually sold. Right now, DOT is being transported by trailer field to field. So we load DOT up on a trailer and move it. Uh, eventually, having several DOTs in a field at once working, like a DOT swarm, and having those dots move autonomously between fields would be great. Very cool. And what stage is the company in right now as far as could somebody go, you know, find a dot and buy one for themselves right now? Or is that still a little ways off? No, we're actively in commercial mode. Farmers have actually purchased and used dot this year. Dot is manufactured in Regina, Saskatchewan right now. So we're really talking about broad acre agriculture. However, come this fall, in Ontario, we hope to be unveiling a surprise for DOT for the row crop farmer. I think that would be pretty cool. And we're also in July here just unveiling a brand new application. We've partnered up with New Leader Manufacturing, and they're rolling out a brand new DOT-ready, 16-section variable rate precision fertilizer spreader for Mm. DOT. So we'll have a a variable rate fertilizer spreader for DOT. Right now, primarily our marketplace is pretty close to home, trying to work out the technical support necessary in the geography. But come 2020, 2021, we'll be uh, broadening that. And we've had interest, Tim, in DOT from Ukraine and Argentina and Brazil and Australia and Czechoslovakia. And people are very excited about it. I know that there's a lot of investors that listen to your show. And so that's another piece of the puzzle. DOT will require significant capital so that we can scale globally. And so we'll be looking to the investor community to do that as well. So that's another piece of the puzzle that we've been entirely self-funded up till now. But to scale, we're going to need to get uh, more capital in the coffers. Well, it's an interesting business because, you know, similar to I'm sitting here staring at my inkjet printer, you know, you buy the printer and then they got to keep buying the cartridges over and over and over again. It's not quite like that, but once you do have the dot, you know, you all could keep innovating when it comes to the implements, the dot friendly implements, or I don't remember the term you exactly used. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly an interesting business that sort of enables a lot of other products down the road. Oh, for sure. We were down in Yuma, Arizona this winter and visited some farms down there. 
And again, not as large. It's, it's, a, it's a large robot. However, when we looked at the broccoli planters, we looked at the vegetable planters that were down there, there's no reason that those, those planters couldn't be mounted on a DOT toolbar because DOT's got a toolbar on it. And we could do 100% autonomous you know, specialty crop applications as well. So I think as people see it, you know, I had the other day, I had a farmer looking at DOT and said, what do you see? He said, I see, I see DOT cutting hay. I see DOT raking hay. I see DOT baling hay. And I said, wow, you know, it just, as farmers look at it, they start to, you know, to look at it through the lens of a agricultural engineer. And we're going to see lots of DOT implements come forward, just like you know, accessories on the edge of a Swiss army knife. That's really what the dot ready implements are. Hmm. I, I want to shift gears just a little bit here and ask you maybe, a, maybe a higher level philosophical question, because you're so good about thinking about these things and seeing them clearly, you know, your, your focus for so long has been on empowering farmers with tools and technology to become more efficient and to produce, you know, hmm. to produce more food. W- what do you say to the criticism that, you know, we kind of have enough, we're producing enough food, we just can't get it to all the right people. So the problem isn't we need to produce more in the future. The problem is we just need to be, you know, kind of more efficient with what we have. You know, how, how do you think about that? Well, I, I think that consumers are going to put increasing constraints on farmers globally. If you watch what's happening in Europe right now, due to activism, the German oilseed crop this year will be the smallest crop since 1998. The French crop, the French farmers are losing oilseed rape ground, uh, rapeseed or canola ground to the tune of 15 to 20%. And this is largely because the tools that they had to control insects such as flea beetles are being ripped away from them. So we have the situation where environmental activism is creating a constraint on a lot of the tools that are available for farmers to use. And yes, there's an argument to say that we can reduce food waste, and, and that's fair. However, as our experience in Uganda has shown, it's not necessarily easy to reduce food waste when you have insects attacking your crop in storage. Uh, these, are, these are big problems, you know, and people who, who tackle big problems with really simplistic solutions often don't understand the complexity of the problem. And it's not a one size fits all. Every area of the world has different area, different pluses and minuses. In Canada, where I'm calling you from, we're blessed with minus 40, minus 50 degree weather. <laughs> you wouldn't call that a blessing. But it would, when it comes to killing insects that attack crops in storage, that's a blessing. Hmm. So we don't lose as much grain and storage as farmers down in even Florida or certainly Uganda would. So this is, you ask a big question. I didn't give you a a good direct answer because it's a nuanced answer. There's lots of issues to take into account. Yeah, and I, I think that's I, I think that's where agriculture is maybe most susceptible because the reality is so nuanced that the that mm-hmm. those that those who wish to take down the system can come up with a really clear message that that is maybe an overgeneralization and, and largely untrue, but they can penetrate with a message like that because the truth is 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 quite nuanced. Well, yeah, it's easy to come up with a simplistic statement that you really don't have to back. You just, you just say something like we should, I mean, if you, put, if you put it to a vote today, Tim, if you said to the general populace, fertilizers, yes or no, pesticides, yes or no, genetically engineered crops, yes or no, it'd all be banned. It'd all be banned. 
that again is because it's so easy to propel a, a bad message or a negative message and so hard to explain the the good sides of fertilizer pesticides and genetic engineering and robotics and it requires a conversation that's why i like when i when i get in you know a debate or somebody starts challenging me about food religion whether it's veganism or paleoism and or whatever it is i like to put up my hands and say do you agree that agriculture needs to be infinitely sustainable and that slows everybody down and then we can have a conversation about what are the factors that create an agriculture that's infinitely sustainable. And that all, you know, ultimately comes back to soil health, water utilization, water efficiency, greenhouse gas balance, perhaps animal welfare if your livestock side of things you want to throw that in. And number one would be farm viability. Because if a farm isn't viable, if it's not economically viable, there is no sustainability. And most people forget that one, which is the the most important one. Absolutely. And because everything is so complex, I am really, really glad that you wrote this book, Food 5.0, How We Feed the Future, because this gives us a an action step. You know, it, we can go out. This episode is, is coming out on August 14th, which means that the book is now available as of yesterday. And so go pick up the book for yourself. Go pick it up for your skeptical neighbor who thinks the food system is trying to poison them. Let's get the word out here because the more educated people are, about what's happening in agriculture and the future of agriculture, you know, the more likely we're going to be able to tackle some of these big challenges related to not only feeding people, but doing so in the most sustainably way possible. So Rob, I just really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks again. I, I, I think we, we need to make sure we do this again, because every time you come on, I, I get fired up, but I also kind of think about things a little bit more clearly. So really appreciate it. Well, you do a great job on the show, and it is one of the podcasts that I frequent, and I thoroughly digest it. You bring on great guests, and, and I like the way you bring on multiple points of view as well. So that really creates some good to and fro and, and some mental stimulation for us. So thank you for what you do. Oh, well, no, I appreciate that. It, and so we're definitely going to send everybody to buy the book, obviously. If you're a farmer or you are an advisor to farmers, you're going to definitely want to check out AgVisor Pro. And then all of you, no matter whether you're a farmer or not, definitely needs to go check out DOT because it's just, it kind of makes you think, oh, it makes you rethink how you look at farm equipment, I would say. Well, Rob, thank you again. I wish you the best with the book as well as these ventures you have going on and look forward to the next time we can have you back on the show. Right on, Tim. Huge thank you to Robert Syke for taking the time in the midst of everything he's got going on to be back on the show. I really enjoyed that, and I, I sure hope you did as well. Also wanted to thank Kyle109342, who left a iTunes review for the show. It says, great ag podcast. This is such an informative podcast. I work in the wine industry in Western Oregon and have been in the ag industry for eight years. I really enjoy hearing from growers in the Pacific Northwest. Learn something new from every episode. Keep them coming. Hey, Kyle, we'll try to do that. And I'll try to get more from the Pacific Northwest on the show too. And that, now that I'm a sort of quasi PNW resident up here in, in the Boise area, appreciate the iTunes review. If you, if you have iTunes and you wouldn't mind, I would love for you to go and leave us a, a rating. It's on a five-star system. Give us as many stars as you think we deserve. And, and a comment is very helpful. I'd love to read it on the show. Thanks so much for your time, your attention, and your interest in, in this stuff. I, I just find it endlessly fascinating. And it sure is encouraging to know that there's others out there like me. We'll be back next week with another Ag Innovator.
Hey, thanks again for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating ag innovator here next week. Thank you.